All right, if you want to grab your seats, we're going to continue on here. It is great to see everybody. Now I can't see everybody, but it was good to see you for a second. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at uh, Hope Heights and thrilled that you're here with us today. Uh, really excited. I, I love uh, lots of parts of the big game. Um, I really love the commercials and I have one, one of my all-time favorites later in the sermon for those of you who need some motivation to listen. Uh, uh, so later we're going to get to one of my all-time faves. Uh, that actually does apply to what we're doing. I'm not just going to randomly pause and show you one, but excited to show you that. Um, we are in a series in the book of Romans. Uh, we're just a few weeks in and uh, really excited about this. And we're continuing on. We're just a little bit uh, of the way in. And so if you're someone who um, uh, has an actual paper Bible, you can open it up to Romans today. We'll be uh, all over the Bible, but mostly in there. And also we have something for you as we study Romans for a few years together. We have these Romans uh, scripture journals. I know I mentioned every night. We have a whole new shipment of them came in. And so if you don't have one of these yet, we have one for you. You can just take it. Um, they're in the back. I think there's a little like basket of them somewhere out there. So feel free to look for one of those, grab those. Uh, they're great for taking notes. It's, it's, uh, it's been a blessing to me sometimes to have something like this when I go through a book of the Bible with some people, just even look back years later to go like and see what God was doing and and, and what I was learning. So we also have a podcast and resources on our app and on our website for lots of things. So we encourage you to hop on there. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I had, I think this exact model set. Did anyone else make models when they were kids? That was like a thing. Uh, Cause we didn't have like phones to look at or <laughs> YouTube, the internet. So we didn't know what to do with ourselves. So we would buy these boxes and uh, one of my good friends was really into making planes. And so because my friend Jeremy was making airplanes, I wanted to be different. And so I decided I'm going to start making model helicopters. And it got me kind of to learn. I got to learn about helicopters. Uh, I picked the Apache because I thought it was cool and it had like missiles and stuff. So when you're, you know, in like fourth grade, that's the coolest thing. And so we'd get, so I'd get this box and you'd open it up and there wasn't a helicopter inside. There was a whole bunch of pieces and you got to kind of snap them out and you had to sand them down you got this tube of glue and you glued it all together. Uh, and you had this really cool like diagram. You had these pages and pages that kind of like took the picture, the actual helicopter and like kind of blew it out to all the different parts of it. And there was diagrams of the parts and how they all fit together to make this helicopter, right? And ultimately then you'd have this cool helicopter. I don't know what ever happened to those. Once the model was built, it was kind of like Lego for me. Once the model, once it was built, I had no use for it. Uh, but the process to build it was so cool. And then you'd have this, this uh, little helicopter on your desk or on your shelf or wherever. Um, and that's today, our hope today, is we're going to look at a passage, just two verses in Romans. But I think it's a verse in Romans uh, that is kind of the thesis of the whole book. It's going to say, this is what we're looking at. This is our helicopter. And then the rest of Romans is going to kind of blow it out and show us in detail kind of how all those things fit together and how they work and maybe how they don't work and what actually goes together in order to make this really cool thing uh, that we call the gospel. And so today we're just gonna look at kind of what that looks like, right? What the helicopter looks like. And then for many weeks together, we're gonna take some time to look through what that looks like as we zoom out into the parts. Today we're just gonna look, what are some of those parts? It's kind of opportunity to even see a bit of kind of a, a main themes that we're gonna look at throughout the book, and I hope, hopefully encourage us um, again in that. And so we've been in the book of Romans. 
Uh, last week we talked about this idea of just picturing where this book, this letter that was written by Paul went to, to a group of people sitting together, probably in some homes, this small church that had gathered in Rome, sitting around together, having a person read this letter from their friend, Paul, encouraging them ultimately to cling to Jesus, to turn away from idols. And so we looked first, the first week, just an introduction to who Paul was and who we are, that we are loved first to Rome, but this applies to us. We are loved by God and called to be saints, people rescued from something to something, understanding who we are, what we're called to do and who we'll become. This also is a, is a theme that we'll see throughout the book, really all of scripture. And then last week we looked at what it looks like to be strengthening each other with the gospel. And so what it looks like if you're someone who's sliding and slipping, we watched a, a video of people sliding on ice and which applied for this week as well. I, I got some examples of that in my life this week. If we're slipping and sliding, we're not established. This passage reminded us of what it looks like to be established. Uh, and that's with one another. We help each other become established, not because we're strong, but because the gospel is what we're speaking to one another. And today we finish that thought of Paul's with this big thesis, this big theme of this is, this is why, this is what the gospel is. And so today we're just looking at Romans 1, 16 through 17. So you can turn there if you want, or passages will be on the screen. And that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at this and take some time to, to kind of zoom out, maybe zoom in and see what are some of these big words and, and what is Romans gonna teach us and, and how, how can we be encouraged by that? So here we go. This is Romans 1, 16 and 17, right after we've learned who Paul is, who we are, that we're called to encourage one another. Paul loves these people, can't wait to be with them so they can mutually encourage each other in this gospel that establishes them. And then he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for it is the righteousness of God, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So here we go. So this is gonna be our little opportunity to look at the diagram of this. This is, a, this is a great opportunity. I think even sometimes when I'm reading scripture, I need to just do this. I need to maybe just look at, I mean, you need to draw some lines, circle something. What does this mean? Maybe just go like, okay, I just read that word righteousness. I read that word salvation a lot in scripture. I read the word faith a lot in scripture. What does that mean? I, I literally just this week, Looked at like, where are other words for faith? How does that look? How do we unpack that? And so we're just gonna take a little bit of time to read through this, to figure out what is this um, telling us and encouraging us with. And so first we're gonna start with gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is telling them there's this good news. The word gospel just means good news. We say that a lot here at Hope, that we have this great news. And it's this good news that's gonna do something, right? So really this passage is gonna explain really, real basically, what is the gospel? What does it do? And he says he's not ashamed of it. That there's this good news that he is unashamed of saying, or there's a good news that might be offensive to some and he's not afraid to share that. It's that important. It's, it's that worth offering to the people. We're gonna actually come back to this ashamed thing after we look through it. After we understand what it's saying, look back and say, why would that be something that would offend someone? Why would that be something that maybe uh, people wouldn't wanna hear uh, in Rome? And I would say always, right? Something we just don't wanna hear. So we have this gospel. Well, what is this gospel? Well, we start with 
the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Well, there's a lot there. The power of God for salvation. So what's this thing? This power and that power of God brings salvation. This power is important because this thing, this is this active thing. that's actually doing something and changing something. This is not a theory or a wish. It's not like a helpful philosophy or maybe a change in a lifestyle that might bring about things. It's actually a powerful thing. It's something that actually changes, enters into someone's life. And it says it's for salvation. This word meaning saved. Salvation means delivered from. It's a word that we uh, sometimes translate as rescued. I like using that word rescued. That for me uh, really captures the essence of a God coming to rescue people who were not able to save themselves, but someone had to come and, and rescue them. And the story of salvation is not a story uh, of just that you are a sinner and God saved you, but it's a, it's a whole story in all of scripture, a story of God creating people and being with his people, his people turning from him, which we call the fall, sin entering the world, and God still pursuing his people in order to rescue them. His people still turning from him, trying to find other ways to find satisfaction and comfort and approval and him turning, us turning from him and him still pursuing them. A story that, that uh, climaxes at this moment when Jesus comes and dies on a cross, where the, the cross we deserve to die on and raises from the dead, defeating death and sin, those powers no longer are over us, but now the power of this good news, right? The power of God's salvation comes to us and that one day God will come and make all things right. We're gonna get to that too. This, this word salvation here, the power of God for salvation is really important too to understand culturally what that might look like. In ancient cultures, and I'd say always, we tend to look at our gods or the things we think will save us that we put our hope in, maybe as something that contains life. And especially in ancient cultures, gods often were thought of as con, uh, of holding on to life and just using people. They created people for their own use. They created armies of people so that they could be served. And so people's lives were to do things so that gods would be happy and not take their life from them. But then eventually they get angry, right? Or, or they don't need people anymore. People become useless and so the gods get rid of them. But ultimately the gods hold the power, the gods hold the life. In the end, the purpose is so that gods can enjoy all things and just use the people. And, and the, the biblical God the gospel message is that we have a God who's willing to come to serve us, who's willing to actually die himself, who's willing to resurrect himself and is willing to offer us life and life eternal. The thing that the people saw the gods having, which wasn't real, they now see the actual true living God was offering to them. God puts himself on death row in order to rescue his people from death row gives salvation, deliverance, rescue to guilty people. This image of being rescued from death row, I think is helpful. It's gonna kind of carry us through a, a little bit of this, but this power that comes changes us. It rescues us and it changes who we are. A very old Syrian bishop, Theodoret, Theodore, uh, no, I never met him, so I didn't get his pronunciation, but I love this, I love, this is how he, this is how he talks about the gospel. He says, the gospel is like a pepper. It outwardly seems to be cold, but the person who crushes it between the teeth experienced the sensation of burning fire. 
Isn't that a great image? It's like you can taste it. You can feel it, right? This, there's this thing that looks like, okay, that's a little odd-shaped thing. It comes in different colors, green or red, right? Maybe orange. We all know, right, there's different levels of how much uh, burning sensation you're going to feel, how much uh, power you're going to feel when you bite into that thing. But what a great explanation, right? We see this thing that might even just look like a philosophy or an interesting thing or just another religion. But when we experience it, when something happens, when we bite into it, it's, it's completely different. I went to my brother's house one time and him and some of his, his uh, friends were hanging out. And this was probably like one of those like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night times uh, where like grown men should probably have been thinking about going to sleep because we had work. But instead somebody pulled out a ghost pepper and somebody said, I bet you can't eat this, which is all you have to say to a group of guys. I bet you can't do it. And then one of them, right, thanks to pride, will say, oh, I can handle anything. And so my friend's brother grabs the pepper and just eats the pepper, just throws it in. There's no pepper too hot for me. So from a second of like holding in his hand, no effect, he throws in his mouth. And then he has, we have all have this moment together where we're watching him and he's like, mm, no big deal. And his eyes start getting bigger. <laughs> he starts sweating. He's getting red. He's taken off his sweatshirt. <laughs> he's still like, oh, I can't even tell. I can't even tell. <laughs> He's dripping in sweat. He's like shaking. And then all of a sudden he just goes, it's so hot. And then he's running around the house. He's drinking milk. He's drinking water. He's eating bread. We're trying to Google like, what do you do? There's nothing you can do. We just watch him. Eventually he just is laying on the kitchen floor moaning, uh, rubbing his tongue with hands. Oh, that pepper, right? He experienced that, that power that was in that little tiny Pepper, this is what uh, our friend, the bishop here tells us. And I love that. This is the power, right? The power of the gospel is that all of a sudden it comes and we encounter it. That good news comes, that message, and it, it warms us. It changes us. There's a spicy good news that comes to us. We see this actually happen in the story uh, of, a, of a jailer with uh, Paul and Silas are imprisoned. And they, if you remember this story, then like uh, they, the Holy Spirit comes and frees them. And when the guard wakes up, he sees their, the prisoners are gone. And he thinks, well, my life is over. I'll be killed for this. I'm not doing my job. But then Paul, they're still there. And they say, no, 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 no. Don't, don't kill yourself. And he says, what, what do I have to do? So then this is, where, this is where we get to this point. He says, then he brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's this great story of where like, they could have just been free and instead we get the opportunity to see him bite down on the gospel and be changed. He says, sir, what must I do to be saved, right? He's asking, what does salvation look like for me? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. See what happens there? He experiences that salvation, that power of God comes to this person in a night he never thought would happen. And his family, his household comes. They heard the good news, this message, that there is a power 
a, a God who can save you because of the work that Christ has done. And they said yes to it. And they even took a step to show that allegiance, that, that worship of God through baptism. And then they're filled with joy. This thing we see happen when the power of God comes onto someone, when the power of God changes you, when you finally bite in and that spicy good news warms you. It's incredible. And so who is this salvation for? We just saw, right? We know it's for the jailer. It's for Paul. We've heard Paul's story. It says, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It says to everyone who believes. Sometimes when you're reading scripture, you might think like, does that mean like everybody? Or does he just mean like all the people are hanging out at this church with us? And then he clarifies, it says to the Jew first, referring to like how Jesus has come as a Jewish man to the Jewish people. They first get to hear this good news. And then also to the Greek, to everyone else who's not Jewish. Paul's saying this power that comes, that saves people, that delivers people from sin and death, from Satan, it's for everyone. This, is a, this, this doesn't feel as bold to us because we have, have grown up and, and we see that happening all over the world. This is a moment where people are sitting there in this church reading this letter and they might've thought maybe just Jewish people are allowed to do this or maybe just people who are really good people are allowed to do this. Maybe people who just have to, that, that are uh, good at praying get to do this. Or maybe they have the right pedigree, the right family. And he's saying all people, this faith, this believing, this, this word that's kind of used faith and belief in this passage is for all people. It's incredible. It's a gift that's given. So a message comes, it's the power of God to save and deliver people. And it's for everyone, everyone, all people. This is incredible. We're gonna hear this throughout Romans, how important it is that we don't start thinking it's not for certain people. A gift given to all who wanna say yes. But the power of God to bring salvation, you say, yes. God has given you this thing. He said, here, and you say, yeah, thank you. Yes. Also, as the passage goes on, uh, it says, for it's the righteousness of God, for the righteousness of God is revealed from, from faith for faith. For his rich is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We're gonna get to righteousness in a second, but it's saying it's for all people who believe and it's from faith for faith. He's encouraging us here that it's an all the time thing. The power of God, the salvation, the gospel is an everyday thing. It's the thing that you first bit into when you first bit in and, and felt that gospel when it changed you. And it's an every day you wake up and again, you say, God, yes, I say yes to you every day. And it continues to change you and the power of God continues to work in you every day. It's not just the first thing that we call justification. Not that's just that moment you say yes to Jesus, but it's also a sanctification thing. Uh, every day, all the time, continually God's power working in you. That one's harder for me to wake up every day and go, God, I, yes, I need, I need you still. <laughs> I need deliverance again. I need rescue again. We see this also in scripture. Um, I love this passage. It's a great reminder for me from, from Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There's a devotional I love to read that uh, is named after this. Uh, this every uh, 
morning, right? New every morning. Every morning you wake up and there is still the power of the gospel. It has not been depleted. You haven't used it up. It's not like a tube of toothpaste that you went like, oh, I got to really ration the last bit of this gospel every day. There's a new storehouse of mercy for you every day that will rescue you and save you. And it comes from our God who is faithful. How do we even have faith? It's because we're, we're made in the image of a God who has faith and his faithfulness fills us. And then we're allowed to even have faith ourselves. We also see this just in practically in the life in Jesus, uh, of Jesus with this woman. An incredible example in Matthew 9, uh, verse 20, it says, just then this Jesus walking with his disciples, just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him, this Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. So this is a woman who's been bleeding. So she actually is unclean. She should not be touching people. She shouldn't be touched by anyone. Uh, I guess that'd be a very lonely, disconnected life, a very hard life, a life with a lot of pain, physical pain, emotional pain. And she takes this bold step. She's like, I'm just gonna touch the edge of his cloak. And I know that this God has the power in him. Jesus has the power in him to rescue me, heal my physical body and I don't know how much she knows, but heal all of her. So she says, I'm just, gonna t- I'm just gonna touch his cloak. And I believe that he has that much power. And Jesus turned and he saw her. He said, take heart, daughter. Imagine how sweet that moment is. How many people are like, you can't touch, don't touch her. And they said, don't touch anyone else to her. And then Jesus turns and she thinks, oh, is he gonna scold me? Is he mad at me? And he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Just bit right in and the power of God changes her. A moment where in scripture we see a physical healing really show us the picture of what our spiritual healing looks like. She didn't do anything. She touched this. She said, yes, Jesus, I think you have the power to deliver me. And he did. It's incredible. All right, as we move on, we have the word righteousness also big word, right? We might hear this word uh, as like people are righteous or they're self-righteous or they themselves kind of make themselves right. This word uh, means to make things right. It's kind of like when you just read it, if you just read it slow or mumble it fast, it would sound like righteous, rightness, rightness. Oh yeah, that's kind of what it means. Make things in the right way. It's also a word that is connected to the word justice. Could even be justice here. Things made right the way they're supposed to be the way that maybe we look all the way back to when God created things and go, that's how it's supposed to be. In relationships to one another, in relationships to creation around us. So how do we make things right? It says here, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. This gospel, this power of God brings and delivers people, all people who say yes to Jesus. And that shows off this righteousness, this rightness, this justice of God. It's revealed to us from that day and every day. And then the righteous shall live by faith. We are made right with God by our faith. This is a passage that really shook Martin Luther. This is a passage that was at the core, the foundation of the Protestant Reformation. He read this and he went, I don't have to, I shouldn't be doing stuff. I shouldn't be paying money to become righteous. It's just my faith in the work of Jesus. 
And so our faith is, is what, we, what we give, or really we just believe in the gift of righteousness that God has given us. We, we see this in scripture all over the place as just an attribute of who our God is. And then he's giving this to us. Clouds and thick darkness from Psalm 72 surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The foundation he sits on is things being right, things being just. He decides justice and rightness. What's incredible about this is now he's giving us this rightness. It's as if he rescued us off a death row. He went in our place and he didn't just say like, Kayla, let's go home and stop doing this. He then now like puts us in the hall of fame. He like now gives us a medal of honor. He, he doesn't just rescue us, but now gives us righteousness. It's incredible. What he rescues us from and to is absolutely incredible. And we know God's righteousness, his rightness, his justice will ultimately be fulfilled as we probably don't feel it always right now, one day, right? In Revelation 21. And then I saw the new heaven, new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Things are right. And he will dwell with them. They're so good. He'll be with his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Finally, things are right. This is gonna happen. This is coming. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Hear that? God is making everything new, everything right. His righteousness is good. And part of that is making us right with him. Something we wanna do ourselves and can't. And we hear that in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they said, yes, right? Faith in him. The new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to himself, reconciled, making it right through, through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation, not just rescuing us, but now letting us get to go out and do the same that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, right? The world, all, everyone. Everyone has this opportunity to say yes and be made right. And then he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. There's that message, right? This good news we get to go out and tell people there is a God who wants to make things right. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Sounds a lot like what we were just reading. The story, this is the good news that Christ has come and died so that we could be offered this gift, this good news. Hey, do you know that God wants you, loves you and has rescued you? And so we look at our passage today, we get to hear this big, the big story, right? The really, really good news that sick, hurting, weary people have found a medicine, have found the cure. And it's not something they did, but it's something that they say yes to. A God who has the power to save and to rescue, a God who pulls people from death row and sets them in the hall of fame. And 
a God who gives us a mission to tell others this good news. That's really our mission is just to get to bring that good news so that other people, other jailers get to hear that good news and be filled with joy as that power changes them. This is really good news. And every day it's good news for us. So why would such good news cause someone to say, I'm not ashamed of this. Why would anyone be offended by this good, good news? This seems like the best news in the world to anyone in any situation. Why would they be offended by this? Well, culturally in the time that he wrote this, this would have been uh, pretty scandalous in that there was a person named Caesar who was the king and the God really of the people. And so he's saying, Caesar is not your king, not your God. There's actually one more powerful and better, one that loves you dearly, who's willing to actually give himself for you. What about today? I think this still feels offensive. And I would say it's offensive um, to me every day, just as I need new mercies every day. I, I wanna believe false gospels every day and I feel offended. So actually Tim Keller lists four ways that it offends him. And uh, I'm a lot like Tim Keller. So I thought, man, yeah, it offends me as well. <laughs> I wanna share, this, these are really helpful. So this is the good news and really how it maybe offends me. I want you to take a little inventory here as we get to the end here. Maybe what, why do we resist this good news? This is incredible news. Well, first the good news says salvation is free and undeserved. And all spiritual failures, uh, we, that we're all spiritual fa- failures who need this gift, right? Well, that's offensive if I'm a moral and religious person who I think my decency gives me an advantage over less moral people. I think I'm better than other people. I'm nicer than other people. I do more things than other people. I give more than other people. And so for you to tell me that that doesn't mean anything, that my value comes out of what Christ has given me, that that's free and undeserved, that's offensive to me. Well, how about the part of the gospel that says Jesus died for us? We were so wicked that the son of God chose to come and rescue me. I wasn't doing it. Well, that's, that really messes me up because as a self-expressionist, my popular belief might be that I just have innate goodness, that I just am good. I'm just a pretty good person. I've said that a million times myself. I'm a good person. Why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. Why did I say that? I'm a good person. None of this doesn't seem fair. It's offensive to me to say you're, you're wicked, you're broken and you need rescue and it comes from God and not you. Well, the good news tells us that good and spiritual isn't enough. Only through Christ, there's a way to salvation. This power comes through faith in him and not me. Well, this offends me when I'm believing that nice people find their own way. I, I don't like losing my autonomy. I like to be able to make a decision. I like to be able to figure it out on my own. I love when I get to say, yeah, I worked really hard and figured this out. I like to decide how things work. It's really hard to hear at times I don't know how it works or don't know how to solve it or I can't. Even when I'm good and spiritual. And lastly, Tim tells us salvation comes from Jesus' suffering and serving. This one hits hard not from conquering and destroying. It's the way of Caesar. It's the way of me. 
we too get to suffer and serve with him. The good news tells us you have been rescued and God has made you right, but that doesn't take away suffering right now at least. One day, right? One day it'll end, but right now it doesn't. And so this offends me because salvation should be the easy life. It offends people who want their lives to be safe and comfortable. That's me. I want my life to be safe and comfortable. So many decisions are made for that. And so I have this this daily moment I get to have over and over where I get to remember those new mercies, the gospel, that power that actually saves me and rescues me. And I get to go, I don't, I don't like that because it's not about me. I just, it's really hard to figure that out. I often feel like, like this. This is my favorite commercial from the Super Bowl. Hopefully some of you remember this. The audio is a little weird, so bear with it. Are we ready for this? Just thought you might want to know. Uh, sales aren't up; they're uh, they're down. <laughs> well, they're not. Yes, On a new job, we've got the most. Well, we are that commercial. There's so many moments where I'm talking with someone, or someone's talking with me, and they. And they say, you know, it's right. Or like, you know, that's not how it is. And I'll go like, yeah, no, that's how it is. (laughs) This is what we're doing, right? In fact, almost flipped, right? We have this incredible news. Sales are going up and we're like, nah, I'm going to try this other way. But that doesn't seem to work. Your your way isn't working. My way isn't working. Self-righteousness isn't working for me. And I go, "Eh, I'm going to keep doing it though. Even though I know there's really good news that there's one who has rescued me. I just turned the chart again. No, let's just ignore it. I'm going to keep going after this. Keep going after this. As I, as I get to uh, in February, I love highlighting uh, some great uh, black history and uh, who I get to highlight today. I'm excited. This, this fits so well. This is uh, Tommy A. Dorsey. Actually, at the same time, there was a man named Tommy Dorsey who was a trombone player. He was a famous kind of jazz big band guy. At the same time, there was a guy named Tommy A. Dorsey, who was also a famous blues player. Tommy was born in Georgia in 1899. He started playing blues when he was young. He, they moved to Atlanta. And as a young man, he eventually traveled to Chicago where he could really get his career going playing blues. He was one of the first people to ever copyright blues music in order to make money from it. He actually made a lot of money uh, for a blues musician in the 1920s. Uh, he played in lots of bands. He built a successful career. He gets to play with lots of names maybe you've heard of. Uh, maybe you don't know any blues names, but he played with lots of well-known names. His name is on lots of songs that are still played today. Lots of classics. He played in a band called the Wildcats that accompanied Ma Rainey, who's a, he's a great, great blues singer. He had all this success touring, becoming a, a well-known blues player, and he began to fall into a deep depression. Re- really, really hard suffering deeply. In fact, so bad it pulled him off the road, wasn't able to perform. And in just a terrible moment of, of being in that, uh, he had something even worse happen to him. Uh, he was away from his home and his wife gave birth to their son and she didn't make it through childbirth. And then, so he got this news, your wife didn't make it, but you, but you have a son. And the next day he got news, your son didn't make it. He said he was like in the, 
in the darkest, heaviest moment. He sat uh, alone and, and sad and the, the weight on him. And he said, some friends came to just comfort him. Some friends that uh, actually had been friends he knew growing up uh, in churches. He said some of his religious friends. And they took that moment in his deep suffering along with uh, some family to encourage him to come to church just to sing and, and uh, be ministered to. And in that moment, he went from a man who uh, was successful, seeking right, to make things right in his own way. And it was changed. You said, I, he remembers crying and his crying and sobbing turning into a song. Uh, a song that actually has become a, a very well-known uh, gospel song. And this is when uh, Tommy A. Dorsey becomes kind of the father of what we would call gospel music today. He begins to take his, uh, his talents as a, as a blues singer and he starts writing hymns. He starts writing songs that he calls, I love this, he calls gospel songs because they're songs that bring, a, bring good news and bring a message. They're songs that bring the message of the power of God and his salvation. And so he begins to create these songs. And at first he actually has uh, resistance because they say uh, that style of music is not Christian. And so churches won't allow him into their churches. That's how familiar we do that. Like with every genre of music. Uh, I just got to see Lecrae this week. And it was part of the story, right? For a while, like, oh, hip hop wasn't allowed in churches because it was not Christian. Uh, instead of the, you know, faith being the thing that makes us Christian. Um, interesting, huh? So he has this, but he says, no, I, I think people want to hear this. And he starts playing these concerts and people come and lots of people come. This music connects to people in a certain way. When his friends and a producer says, people love this music because it brings the sadness of the blues and the good news of the gospel. You're like, I kind of need that. There's something about saying, oh, I'm so broken. This is so hard. My God, you're still so good. And so he creates a genre of music called gospel music that becomes enormous and now is a huge part of many churches. And for the rest of his life, he writes and performs uh, gospel songs. He eventually pairs up with Mahalia Jackson, who he travels with, and they, they go and teach these songs to churches all over. Eventually, she's, uh, they become good friends with MLK and they're part of civil rights movement. In fact, his songs were sung, requested, and sung at MLK's funeral. Um, he, his mission changes. His mission to bring good news is his new life. It changes how he feels. It changes who he hangs out with. It changes uh, when he wakes up every day. There's an interview with him. He says like, I get to wake up every day and share this good news through music with people. Like what better job is there than that? Good call. Good call. Not much. I love it. This, this, is a, a, this is a story, right? One person's story uh, of them biting down on, on the pepper, right? Of that spicy, that warmth changing them, of the power of God and his salvation changing a person. And then that person joining this ministry of reconciliation, this ministry to say to the world, I have this really good news for you. Really good news can't wait to tell you. And so Tommy A. Dorsey got to do that and we get to join in doing that. I'm going to invite our worship team up. 
one of the things we get to do every Sunday is this together. We get to sing words that were written to remind us of this good news. We get to uh, take communion each week to remind us of this good news that Jesus died and rose. We get to pray together and say, God, we need you. We're reminded of this good news. Every day we get to wake up and be reminded. As we think about how to respond to this good news, this gospel, I encourage you to consider a few things. Do you believe this? Is belief uh, even part of a daily step for you? You think like, well, I believed when I was like 12, I said yes to Jesus. And now I just get up and try to be a good Christian. This is the first step every day. Today and tomorrow and the next day, I believe this news. I actually, every day I want to hear it. And then you go, yeah, yeah, I, I believe that. And allow that power of God to change you. How does the gospel also offend you? This might be helpful as you think of like, where am I resisting that? How does it offend you? Maybe which one of those four hit, hit you the hardest? I know comfort as I read that one, I thought, man, how much of my day is spent thinking about being more comfortable? Where do you turn away? And as always, who reminds you of the gospel, even when it's really hard for them to say it? Who's the one who reminds you this good news? That's, the, that's it. That's the only place we have this power. And then who are you going to see this week who's going to need to hear some good news? And maybe the good news isn't like, you got this, don't worry about it. Maybe the, the news is, I don't know if we got it, but God does. You know that? Maybe that's the good news we need to hear. All right, let me pray for us. And then our worship team is going to lead us in singing good news to remind ourselves. And when you sing, not only that, you're reminding the person next to you. And whether or not they say it, they're listening to you sing. And not if you're off key, but they're listening because they need to hear the good news. And so let's do that for one another. Let me pray and we'll do that. Lord, um, your gospel, this good news is powerful powerful enough to deliver all people in all places and all time. All, it's incredible. Nothing else does that or comes even close to that. Lord, thank you that you have rescued us, delivered us, that you've brought us salvation. And Lord, thank you that you've made us right. I pray that each day we'd wake up saying yes to this message and each day you'd use us to proclaim that good news to others who are just looking, they're dying for it, literally dying for this good news. I pray that you'd use us for that and that you'd use our church for that. We'd be a place of healing and of care, a home where a family reminds each other of that good news. We love you, Lord. You're very good to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.